And we are live from the oasis of free speech inside the empire of lies. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan. This is the backstory. Now, is the Carmine Monday? Is Carmine Syria? Do we have a Carmine online? We do. Is that Carmine? I told you before, I want to be known as sexy journalist Carmine Sebia. Okay, then you should talk to a show where the host has had a stroke that rendered them completely blind because it did affect me <laughs> so much that I'm, I'm not that blind, Carmine. Let me point damn, that out. I'm a damn handsome man. Yes. <laughs> As you keep telling us. Now, I want to, I want to point out, but we did love having you. And it is a Carmine Monday. Carmine Sabi is joining us as guest host for the entire show. And what a show. We have, in the first hour, Ian Schilling, our friend from England, will be talking about geopolitics. And he has a great accent. You've talked to him before. Am I right? He has a great accent. He does. He does. It could be worse. Got a Cockney accent. Yes, and, and and in the second hour, he doesn't have. It's not a bad accent, but it's not distinctive. But he's a, a good speaker. That's fine. You, you don't have to have a funky accent, but he's a great correspondent for RT. Wyatt Reed, very informed individuals, going to be teaching us a history lesson. Do you know what the Odessa Massacre is, Carmine? You know what? I'm vaguely familiar. By the end of this show, you will be an expert on the Odessa Massacre because okay. it's the anniversary of the Odessa Massacre. And Wyatt will be filling it in. For anybody who's not really clear on it, what happened, Wyatt will be going through the timeline of what happened as a tragic anniversary. And most, I, I must say, you're a very informed individual, but Americans don't know about this, what happened. Uh, the Ukrainian Nazis killing people, and you'll hear all about it. And this is why I read. We're also taking your calls not you, Carmine. Don't get excited. Your calls no. to the backstory at 202-521-1320. And Carmine, what's the name of the show? It is, and I quote, The Backstory. So, Carmine, I'm excited to, to talk to you today. I look forward to talking to you every week. But uh, did you enjoy, did you sit down with maybe a, a lady friend, someone snuggled up on the couch and watched the White House Correspondents' Dinner on Friday? Well, it's the highlight of my year. You know, shockingly, Lee, I was not invited to this. Yes, but, but you could have watched it on C-SPAN. You know what? I watched a little bit. I watched a little bit because I have to, right? I mean, it's part of the gimmick, right? It's part of the job. And I haven't seen Trevor Noah. I, I'm not a fan. But since when 
Does he have a bro pad on his head? I, I don't know. He used to have a shaved head. And now he, he has a... It's an insult to Afros to call it an Afro. It's a sort of Afro. It's sort of a... Like a cut-down Afro. So it's a semi-woke in 1979, maybe. But it's a semi-woke haircut. But I'll put it like this. The press who was gathered at the White House to listen to Trevor Noah do his, quote, comedy, where he, he didn't do anything. He was talking about how he... He was so proud to be in a country where a person like him can make fun of the president. I didn't notice any hard-hitting comedy from Trevor Noah to Joe Biden. Did you? Did you I notice didn't. any Hunter Biden crack whore jokes? Not one. Not one Hunter joke. Listen, they do. They did what they do for every Democrat president. The way. When it's a Republican president at the White House Correspondents' Center, it is on like Donkey Kong, okay? When it right. is a and president, forget it, bro. It, it, it's they, they, when it's a Democrat president, it's very lighthearted, very lighthearted. And the same amount of Trump jokes if he were president. Did you notice the Correct. Trump jokes and? In fact, Biden got a Trump joke in. Yeah, no, of Why? course. But the whole correspondence center was just like if Trump were there. It was the one thing I, I, I found quite disturbing and, and also as transparent as you'd expect, right? I mean, you, you knew it was going to happen, I guess. They had to do it. But, you know, it was like, come on, man. The guy's not there. And you're still taking cracks at him. You know, and you noticed it with, I don't know if you noticed it when, when President Obama was president. It was the same thing. It was, um, you know, we're not going to really hit these guys. Right. You know what I mean? That's that's right. They'll make a couple of lighthearted uh, jokes about it. By the way, I found it interesting that, that, that the president finds it hilarious to shape the economies in. Yes, the, there was the one joke, the hardest thing Trevor No joke was, I'm going to do it, I won't try his delivery, but he said things are looking up for the country. Gas is up, rents is up, right? That was a joke. And that was the best? That's, that was the hardest hitting. Because, duh. But that's not hard hitting. Because he didn't say, due to your policies, you see what I'm saying? He didn't say, uh, he just said, yeah, prices are up. But right. if was if he was asked about it, he, he also attacked Putin. He went after Putin, a fairly easy target. But did you hear about the tragedy? Five dozen reporters injured themselves, patting themselves on the back. A, I could see a that. A massive backpatting incident. Could you so, imagine? Like, what kind of person you have to be to create a, a, a banquet for yourself? Well, you know, I was watching because it was on the lawn of the White House. And 
it was not a place I've been. I've I've been there before, so I recognize the backdrop. And but I felt it was interesting. About three years ago, I went to cover the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I've never been invited, but I went to cover it, and I passed out uh, on the way. But it was at the time at a hotel or something like that. I don't remember it being at the White House. No. Did that, did that seem unusual to you? Yeah, because it's usually at a hotel. Yeah. Or a bank hall. But they wanted to make it an official White House event. And for Trevor Noah to talk about free speech when Julian Assange is being tortured to death was offensive. And for the reporters to all laugh about that and juckle, j- joke about it. Now, the other thing you could have done, Carmine, was after you sat down on the couch to watch the White House Correspondence Center, you could have fallen asleep to a lullaby sung by Nina Jankowicz. She mm-hmm. likes to sing. Bro. You've noticed that? I, yeah, she's a big singer. But my favorite part, bro, is how, and this is the thing I found, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for here? Hypocritical, ironic. There's a few words you could use. Is that they're talking about the free First Amendment, free speech, and they're raising a toast and this and that, all this stuff next to the guy who is creating a truth commission or a ministry of truth, as it were. And they're talking about free speech. Yeah, no, right. Let's get that Peter Ducey clip. Uh, Let's get that clip ready, Command Central. Tell me when you got that ready. I actually have a clip of Peter Ducey at the White House questioning Jen Psaki about the truth commission. And I got to say... I appreciate his questioning, but I don't think he went far enough. And I'll explain after we hear the clip. I don't think think he went far enough in saying what he could have said to Jen Psaki. He mentioned the white the Hunter Biden laptop story, but he didn't call the president out to Jen Psaki's face and say, Have you guys admitted? Because have they have you heard the White House admit? that the Hunter Biden laptop story was true and that Joe Biden lied about it at the debate. Have you heard them admit that the president lied to get elected? Right. No, that... And and it's a valid question, right? Well, of course it is. Now, now let's play a clip. This is Jen Psaki being asked by uh, a correspondent from Fox. Let's play it. On another topic, does the president know that DHS is putting together this disinformation governance board? Well, 
Peter, I, I think I would note, and I'm not sure if this has been in your reporting yet, but this is a continuation of work that was done under the prior administration, under the Trump administration, uh, to uh, take steps to address disinformation, address the use of disinformation in helping smugglers prompt uh, the movement of more migrants uh, across uh, to the border. I would note that the first example given in the announcement about this was uh, DHS's work to understand how, quote, misinformation spread by human smugglers that prey on vulnerable populations attempting to the mi migrate to the United States. So for anyone who's out there who may be concerned about the increase in migrants to the border, this is the kind of apparatus that's working to address disinformation. And again, continuing the work of the Department of Homeland Security in 2020, something we're currently applauding. But just in terms of what the president wants out of this, does he want the people on this board to start censoring information that is not helpful to him? Well, let me be clear on exactly what this board does or what the work they are doing does. And in their announcement, which is publicly available on the Department of Homeland Security website for anyone to read, it says, quote, the primary mission is to establish best practices to ensure that efforts to understand and respond to disinformation are done in ways that protect privacy, civil rights, and civil liberties, and the right to free speech. But, uh, okay, there's this woman, Nina Jankowitz, who is going to be in charge of the board. She has said that she thinks the Hunter Biden laptop is Russian disinformation. So should we look forward in the future to her censoring Internet traffic about the Hunter Biden laptop? I think I noted exactly what the objective of the board is, including continuing the work of the prior administration. And the woman you noted has extensive experience uh, and has done extensive work addressing disinformation. She has... Uh, testified before Congress, testified uh, in Europe. Um, she has done, worked closely with the Ukrainians and has unique expertise, especially at this moment we're facing. Go ahead. Now, that was a non-answer. He brought up a point that's valid, which is she talked about a Hunter Biden laptop and she said it was R Russian disinformation. We now know that CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post admit that. But you heard what Ducey, what he didn't say to Saki was, do you admit now? You see what I'm saying, Carmine? He had the perfect opportunity Correct. to say, by the way, do you admit now that you, your president lied about that laptop? Is there any question about this story in the White yeah, House's she, mind? She would, she would have said, uh, you know, that I'll direct that question. But the president has already spoken about this. We're not going to, you know, she's not going to answer it. But you can embarrass her further while she's packing her bags to head to MSNBC for a new job. But, uh, and again, it's a minor quibble, but I thought it would have been a great opportunity to point out well, we now know that major media outlets, do you contradict the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN? And do you claim the Hunter Biden laptop story was real, was not real? And that Joe Biden's statement on the debate was accurate? But I quibble. But what... That was pathetic. Also, she's saying, no, she's trying to blame this on Trump, the Ministry of Truth. She's saying she continues to work 
the Trump administration did. That is a lie. This is a lie. Right. Right. That's it was committed. This position that Ninjangwich is in was created by the Biden administration under the DHS under Biden. It was not set into there's nothing that Donald Trump did that said we're to create a disinformation governance board. Right, Carmen? Never. Never. And so, uh, and and also, sh- trying to make this about border security. You know, the problem with border security is not that people are escaping because information is loose. People aren't coming into the country through loose information. You follow me? Correct. There's not a... In fact, have you heard about Twitter or Facebook banning one single coyote? Is this something I'm missing? Not not even Wiley coyote. No, but, but, but seriously, I hear Democrats spout disinformation all the time about immigration. No one's banned them. What's she talking about? I don't, I literally do not know what she's talking about. Do you have any clue, Carmine? Unfortunately, I do not. Right, and no one does. And anybody's heard, she's trying to conflate the issue. It's a way of her not answering. Period. And a way of her trying to put it on Trump and try to confuse Trump voters and they're thinking, wait, this is about immigration. But any Trump voter that's thinking about it for two seconds would be, wait a second, this is clearly not about disinformation. You know, what, in fact, I covered this story. The closest thing to disinformation affecting immigration is that people were being told If you go to the border and you say, I'm running from, I'm seeking asylum, you will get in. Now, that is not disinformation. If you say that, you will get in. It's, It's invalid, and you might not win your case when it comes up five years later. You might lose the hearing. You you don't care about that. So I don't have any idea what she's talking about. And Carmine, so what do you think of the disinformation governance board? It's a joke. It's a joke, dude. It's you talking about complete stupidity. This is it is it is 1984. It's total 1984. It's it's terrifying, to be honest with you. And I think, you know, it, it is sadly what it is. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. Um, I'm, I'm, I, you know, this is my question, though. Is there anything you can do about it, though? Is it possible 
to get this to court and have it struck down. Well, I think it needs to be brought to court immediately. And, and I've said that I think Biden needs to be impeached even for proposing it because it's clearly unconstitutional on the face of it. And she read the press release that said it's going to be done looking at protecting civil liberties and the First Amendment. I don't care what they say in the press release. The government determining what disinformation is. See, the government has no right to determine what disinformation is, particularly this government. Now, let's get the first clip ready. I, 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 we, we played the a clip. Now, wh what I'm going to do is uh, telling you this up. This is a this is a state senator, Carmine. And I want you to guess, just based on hearing the clip, see if you can determine what political party this senator, state senator, is a member of. Is he a Democrat or a Republican? You can't tell by the voice, but by the but by what he's saying and the way he's saying it, I think you can tell immediately he's not a member of a certain party. And I'm going to let you determine whether that's the Democrats or Republicans. So, Carmine, listen closely. Here's a state senator, former state senator, and see if you can determine his political party by what he's saying and how he's saying it. Play it. Now, the Donbass is adjacent to Russia. It is a, a portion of Ukraine that did not join uh, with the revolutionary government that conducted the coup in 2014 and overthrew the, the government of, of Ukraine. Uh, they, they refused to become a part of the new revolutionary uh, government of Ukraine. And uh, so they, de they declared their independence. And uh, Ukraine had massed this enormous army to attack against the Donbass. And so Russia was forced to go in to preempt that, uh, that planned attack by Ukraine. And uh, you could see that Russia very much hoped that they could conduct this special operation without unduly causing casualties for the Ukrainians, because they, they, they think of the Ukrainians, or at least they did think of the Ukrainians as, as brother Slavs, uh, that uh, they, they wanted to have good relations. But there, there was a famous picture with a, a Russian tank that had been stopped by a gathering of maybe 40 civilians who just walked out in the road and blocked the road and the tanks stopped. I can tell you, in Vietnam, if we had had uh, a bunch of people who, who stood in the way of an American tank going through, that tank would not have slowed down in the slightest. It wouldn't have honked a horn. It wouldn't have done anything. It wouldn't have fired a warning oh. shot. It would have just gone on. And, and, uh, and, and I think that's 
more typical. I'm not. I'm not criticizing the Americans. Uh, I, I was. I was there, and I was fighting, and I probably would have would have driven the tanks straight through myself. But what I'm saying is that the the rules of engagement for the Russians were very very cautious. Okay, Carmine, can you guess what political party the speaker is a member of? It's a Democrat, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was Danang Dick. It was who? Uh, Danang Dick, Richard Blumenthal. No, that is a Republican. Uh, I, I think, Rod, you're familiar with him. He's a Republican who's in Virginia, a former state senator, Richard Burns. Black, and, Richard Black. Uh, Richard Black, forgive me. You're familiar with him, right? Rod? Yeah, he's a state, he's a former state senator of Virginia, yeah. No, I think the giveaway was, uh, Carmine, and I'm curious as you're thinking, I think the giveaway was he was stating facts. Democrats, when they talk about Ukraine, never state facts. That's true. Uh, that is true. And fair. so he was making a logical case based on facts. And he admitted the history in 2014, there was a coup. And Democrats never, they just talk about this as an unprovoked attack by Russia. I've never heard a a Democrat admit that it was that there there were reasons that the coup in 2014 that the U.S. backed may have had something to do with it, or the attacks on Donbass had to do with it. But I I just thought that clip it was one of the reasons I I I submitted the clip is I was stunned to hear someone with an American accent be so cogent and telling the facts. Everything uh, Black said there was correct and kind of shocking to hear an American get everything correct. What did you think, Armand? I w yeah, I, I, well, I'm surprised it was allowed on TV. Yes, good point. Also, I don't know if you noticed. Do you watch CNN at all? N not if I can help it. Okay, I try to because I want to know what they're saying. And so as I'm watching it, um, they mention like heroes, like heroes almost every day, uh, the Azov Battalion. Yes. Which is creepy because the Asia Battalion are Nazis. Right? Correct. You've been able to independently confirm that. You didn't take correct. my word for it. Right. No, correct. I did research on it, and it wasn't, before the war started. And it wasn't hard to figure out, was it? No. I mean, they, everybody was reporting it at the time. It was common mainstream media knowledge. Yes. And in fact... Congress in 2016, I believe, they passed an appropriations bill that forbid them from giving money to the Azov Battalion 
because it said they were Nazis. Congress said, said that the Azov Battalion were Nazis. So it's admitted to you. But now, they're, as you point out, they're heroes. What do you make yeah. of that? Um, well, they don't talk about any of the Nazi stuff anymore. And, uh, you know, it's just it's the same old, same old. It's the and same old, same old. They're, they're rewriting history. They're rewriting the facts to fit their narrative. And did you see that Adam Kinzinger, the noted anti-Trump representative, he introduced a bill that could put U.S. troops in battle for Ukraine. Did you see that? No. Yeah, he introduced a bill that said, under these circumstances, he says, chemical weapons, for instance, the U.S. will have troops fighting Russia. <coughs> Very disturbing. That's now, when we come back, yeah, it's, it's frightening. But when we come back, we'll be talking to Ian Schilling, and we'll be talking about COVID, we'll be talking about the war, and also about what's up in Europe. They're the only leader who's popular that I can tell is Viktor Orban. But we'll talk to Ian about that after this break on The Backstory. Back with the backstory with guest co-host Carmine Sabia on a Carmine Monday. And we are on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding environment. That's Maryland and Virginia. Joining us now, geopolitical analyst and guy with a cool accent, Ian Schilling. Welcome to the show, Ian. Hi, guys. Great chatting with you again. Yeah, it's great chatting with you. Now, Ian, I know you've been on top of the COVID-19 story since it first broke. Yeah. Did you see now I'm I'm going to I'm going to relate to you cuz you're you're in England and you're not under Fauci in England. He's a a US phenomenon, right? <laughs> yeah, we got just as bad ones in England. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to ask you about was and Carmine, did you see this? Fauci said about a week ago or so, he's being interviewed. And we had, as you know, a mask mandate on public transportation. Federally, you had to wear a mask if you're on a bus or an airplane or train. You had to wear a mask. And a court struck that down about a week ago. You heard about that, right? Yeah. And did you see, Carmine, where Fauci came out and said he disagreed with the court having the ability to do that? He said he thinks the CDC should have. Should be above the law. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Correct. No, you saw that, Carmine, right? I did. I also saw how he backtracked about saying we're out of the pandemic phase. 
Well, yeah, let, but the the first part that the CDC should dominate, that the Supreme Court should not be involved in health decisions, and that somehow the mass mandate should be determined by the CDC, and that it should know that is such a slap in the face of the rule of law. Well, no way. Now, wait, if that's the case, then Roe versus Wade is nullified. Now, so. They got involved in health care. Good point. And they got and involved good point. And uh, now, now, Ian, what's the status of mask mandates in England or in Europe in general? Do you still have mask mandates on Public transit? No. No, all the mask mandates went over a month ago now, and hardly anybody's wearing masks. They're not wearing them in the stores. They're not wearing them on buses. They're not wearing them on trains. I mean, the whole thing's a farce, complete farce. Masks don't do anything. And they're very right, unhealthy. They now have got studies coming out. That a Canadian study came out that you've got microplastics deep in the lungs of people who wear masks. So I don't know what damage long-term mask wearing is doing to people, but it can't be healthy, can it? Now, now, what's who's the British equivalent of Fauci? Tell us uh, about Chris, him. Chris Whitty who deliberately murdered thousands of Brits to push the vaccines. And is, is he as active in the media? Sorry? As Fauci? Is he as active well, he was. in the media he's not, as Fauci? He's not, been, he's not been on much lately because it's all died down. They're all talking about the Ukraine war, aren't they? They're not talking about COVID anymore. But up to up to a month or two months ago, he was, he was on, on the TV all the time. Just like Fauci. And how did the mask mandate being shut down on public transit? Did are people collapsing in the tube or something? Is there mass deaths no, since they no, got rid of the mask no, mandate? No, no, nobody's dying, and the number number of reported positive tests is going down. I mean, it's just all the farce. I mean, but. but it's just ridiculous. I mean, somebody did a chart of uh, the 39 states that did mask mandates and the 11 states that didn't do mask mandates. There's absolutely no difference in their infection curves. There's absolutely no difference whatsoever. So wow. that's a real live example with 300 million Americans. But the Biden administration is appealing it. Yeah, I know. Well, it's just crazy. Yeah, well, it's lunacy. It's totally anti-science and to to totally against the Constitution. Why should why should people be forced to wear something that doesn't work? Now, Carmine Sabia, you're not an anti-vaxxer. In fact, no. you've talked about that. You you've gotten the vaccine still, and and the booster. Do you find do you find Fauci's statement? I find it very frightening because the idea that any board is above the courts. You know, what's, what's the principle? The, the, the Supreme Court, if there's a law about wearing a mask, mm -hmm. that's not a health decision. That's a law decision. 
Yeah, Correct. well, if, if, if they wanted to do that, they have to pass a law in Congress, don't they? They have to Correct. draft a law in Congress and pass it, and then it would be legal. Right? But the way they've done it with a diktat from a government agency isn't legal. It's unconstitutional. And I actually worry about this hatred of the rule of law. I'm going to extend it into, you know, we have these sanctions on Russians that the U.S. government passed. And you've heard like a, a Russian millionaire got his Yahtzees or something. Yeah. You've heard that kind of story, right, Carmen? Yes. I want to know by what legal process do they do that? Do they determine how did it seems to me like yeah go ahead Ian there isn't a legal process is it it's piracy right if you want to see someone's assets because you you accuse them of doing something wrong then you've got to go to a court of law and get 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 a warrant and get a judgment haven't you against them correct right? I mean, that's the only legal way of doing it. You've got to go to the court and go through a court process to seize their assets, right? like a criminal, like a, like a drug dealer or whatever. But I mean, they they're just gonna they're just gonna steal people's people's property now. I mean, this is this is just it's total lawlessness, isn't it? Right. I mean, they're just targeting anyone, aren't they? They're not targeting a, a, a Roman Abramovich, are they? They haven't sanctioned him <laughs> because he's got links right. with the Rothschilds. He's friendly with the Rothschilds, so he's not get sanctioned. He's not got sanctioned. Abramovich is the Russian who owns, I believe, Chelsea. Correct? Yeah, not, not, he's not, selling not, it. Yeah. He's selling it in case yeah. it gets confiscated. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not. Up exactly my footy, so I I I might be wrong, but but you said I'm right, so I I don't sound so stupid. But <laughs> and and do you think I'm? It's it's hype if I say there's a trend I notice towards getting rid of the rule of law. That's totalitarianism to me, <clears throat> and and I see this CC statement by Fauci and sanctions as different examples of the same thing of them just saying, no, we're not going to go through a court process. We're going to just do this and try to stop us. Do you see that? Ian, you've been yes. very concerned totally about lawless. this. It's totally lawless. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, this new this new Ministry of Truth Disinformation Governance Board that Biden's just set up that that's unconstitutional as well. The U.S. government can't can't interfere in the free press and and free speech. Right? There's, 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 there's no, nothing in the Constitution says the U.S. government can determine what is disinformation. Where is that line in the in the U.S. Constitution? It doesn't exist. It, the only the only thing that exists is that the, the free press and free speech must be must be must be protected at all costs. That's the First Amendment, isn't it? Now, Carmine, I'm going to throw to you any any questions or comments for Ian. None in particular. I'm just listening, man. I mean. It's, you know, all, it's all totally lawless, and now now they're setting up. I would get up, educated, Ian. 
They're now setting up a consortium of 60 countries, including the US and the UK, for more censorship of the internet. Right? All, all this That's Elon terrifying. Musk buying Twitter, they're now, they're now going to try and do censorship in other ways. That's the, probably the uh. most terrifying development this past week. Yeah. And look, 60 countries are going, to do, are going to do totalitarian censorship of any, anything the government doesn't like. I mean, this is Stalinism, isn't it? It's not democracy. What drives me nuts, Ian, though, is that the liberals are cheering this on. And I'm like, don't you understand at some point the conservatives are going to be in control and you're going to have to deal with this? Yeah. This is going to affect you. Yeah. Whoever is targeting they... that at, at, at now, it will change in the future. Everybody will get targeted. Anybody, anybody who the current government doesn't like will be targeted. Correct. I mean, I imagine they would, they would remove every Sputnik account from the internet if that thing happened. Yeah. Well, well, it's, let's it, see. It, it's totalitarianism. It's it's. George Orwell's Ministry of Truth. It's just dystopia, isn't it? This is not freedom. This is not free country. This is not free society. This is totalitarianism. But, I mean, and Twitter and Facebook speaking. have been doing this for ages, haven't they? No, we're talking about good English accents, because Ian's got one. But let's talk about bad English accents. Nina Jankowicz, the head of this... Minister oh, of boy. Truth. You've heard, heard her sing like Julie Andrews. Yes. Right, Ian? She's a total nutter. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Nutter, that's a British phrase. Yeah. But you just mean she's crazy. Yeah. But also, what did you think of her Julie Andrews impression? Oh, well, she's quite got, she's got quite a good singing voice. But, but she does. I mean, I'm not going to lie. But I wouldn't want to listen to her for too long because it's pretty grating after you've been listening to her for seen repeated clips for about five minutes or whatever. I don't want to. I don't want to listen anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's she's a good incision. Your not, she's not hard on the eyes either. Uh, well, she's a total tart, isn't she? She says she one of her one of her videos. She says, "Who am I going? Who do I have to f word?" Yes. Yes. To, to become rich and famous. So she's to totally amoral, isn't she? And powerful. Uh, and powerful, yeah, rich and powerful, yes. Now, to be clear, when she said, who do I have to have to be rich and famous, Carmine said him, right? Am I correct? I sent a letter. I sent yes. a letter. <laughs> Carmine is the board. He's the <laughs> FBI, female body inspector, Ian. But yeah. not hard on the guys, now, man. Now, I, I think something interesting about Nina Jankowicz, she's remarkably consistent because she is everything pro every restriction on COVID-19. And she's anti-Russian. So she's remarkably consistent. The same people who take a hardline position in favor of the mask mandates and everything, even after the medicine proves them wrong, uh, science proves them wrong, they also are pro-Ukrainian. Nina Jankowicz is pro-Ukrainian, huh. and she's pro-war. But he so supports the current she, thing. 
whatever the glo current globalist thing is, they support it, don't they? Whatever the whatever CNN tells them to support, they support it blindly. I don't question it. Like, I mean, she works. She 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 was a fellow at globalist think tank, the Wilson Centre or whatever it's called. It's a globalist think tank, right? Just like the CFR and all the all the other globalist think tanks. So she's she's totally you, brainwashed in globalist narratives and whatever. She hasn't got well, a clue Andrew, what the aims are, what globalism is intended to do. She just goes along with whatever they say. Did you see who supported her work at the Wilson Center? Who was funded by? No. Who was funded it? Oh, Carmine, did you see? She's talked about this. Who funded her position at the Wilson Center? Do you know? I, I, I didn't see it, but I'll guess George Soros. Close. No. Facebook. Facebook. Uh, Zuck <laughs> Zuckerberg. It oh, I did was see paying that, yes. Was paying her salary, right? So the, yes. that, and she completely buys into. She talks about this in her book. She completely buys into. Remember the theory that there was Russian interference in the election because they bought Facebook ads. Yeah. That they never proved they bought, and they bought forty thousand dollars worth of something. <laughs> $40,000 against the billion-dollar advertising budget of the Hillary campaign, yeah. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yes, and so it, it it's amazing. If you if she did work in Ukraine, she was funded by George Soros to some extent, so that's not an entirely wrong answer because she was working with NGOs. And she was also, I believe, uh, and I might be inaccurate if I say this, but she was working for one group that is a front for the CIA. I think it was the NAD. Uh, National Association for Democracy well, or whatever. Was, she was it she she was a consultant on Ukraine propaganda, wasn't she? She called it strategic yes. communications, but it's propaganda, isn't it? <laughs> strategic communications is propaganda. Now, Ian, I brought this up before we had you come on. It seems like there's not a European leader who's popular. Boris Johnson, Macron, Schultz, I can go through all of them. Uh, the only one I can think of is Orban. Yes. Viktor Orban from Hungary seems to be the only popular European leader. Yeah. What's up with that? Well, because all the, all the others are, are totally corrupt, treasonous scumbags. That's why. I mean, Macron, how can you call it a democracy when the president, who's got a 40% approval rating and a 56% disapproval rating, gets so-called re-elected? Right? Oh, no, you know, 58% of the vote, supposedly. This is Joe Biden all over again, isn't it? This is the 2020 election with ballot stuffing and whatever. <laughs> I'm sure they've rigged it. That French mainstream TV put out put out a um, a shot a screenshot showing that Le Pen was two hundred thousand votes ahead with forty minutes of voting to go, yeah. and then and then five minutes later they altered the screen image to show that Le Pen had somehow lost two point eight million votes and Macron was now ahead. <laughs> 
How can you suddenly lose 2.8 million votes in five minutes? Um, they did it on election night 2020, so I don't know. I know. It's, it's that all over again, isn't it? Rigging, rigging the electronic vote counts. And Orban from Hungary, it came out today, he said that he is a member of the EU, member state of the EU. He's going to block every move to sanction Russia more. Yeah. Just, yeah, he, he, he's the only one standing in the way of the EU doing doing all sorts of stupid stuff. He's 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 vetoing the oil embargo, isn't he? And the gas embargo because Hungary Hungary's landlocked country. He gets all its gas and oil from Russia because Russia's next door almost, isn't it? No, right. Yeah, very close. And uh, Ian and and we have Sweden who's going to vote to join NATO, but yeah. they're not going to vote on it. They're just going to bypass the citizenry. Yeah, so, they're not going to hold a referendum, are they? They said they will refuse to have a referendum because the people will probably vote against it. So we'll just push it through anyway. And I, I think, does that do anything to save Sweden? I mean, if you're a citizen well, in Sweden... Sweden becomes a target for nuclear weapons. If, if they join NATO and start having NATO forces on their on their territory, then Russia's obviously going to aim nuclear missiles at them, isn't he? I mean, they just become like the UK, don't they? So whereas before they weren't being targeted because they were neutral and they didn't have any NATO forces and no, no you know, missiles on their territory or any other NATO assets then they, they wouldn't be a target. But, I mean, Sweden, Sweden's totally crazy. I mean, they, they've been doing Russia paranoia for, for years and years. All false stories about a, a Russian sub in um, Swedish waters, weren't they? They made a big hoo-ha about it, about they're invading Sweden's territorial waters, and there was no Russian sub there at all. They just made it all up. So they, right, I mean, now, they, they go on the the Russian paranoia is just terrible in Sweden. Now it seems to me <laughs> this situation where there's where Viktor Orban, and am I accurate that he is popular with his people? Yeah, well, he he got a super majority in Parliament. He got enough to get two thirds of the seats. Right, so that's like against sixty six senators in in the in the in the Senate, in the US Senate. Right. Or getting about three hundred seats out of the four hundred and thirty-five in uh, in the House of Representatives. So I mean, that's that's a big win. I mean, and there's not just one opposition party. There's quite a few other opposition parties. But I mean, I don't know what percentage of the vote he got, but he got in, enough seats to get two thirds of the seats in Parliament. That's huge. Right. No, no one else anywhere in Europe has got. A, I can't. I do not know of any leader, other leader in Europe, has got an approval rating better than fifty percent. They've all, they've all got higher disapproval ratings than approval ratings. All of them. All the ones I know of: now, France, Spain, Italy, Netherlands, Belgium. Belgium got a government anymore? I don't know. <laughs> the UK. All of them. Now, it seems to me that this is a situation that is untenable. It cannot last because when well, you have so many countries, like you say, every country but Hungary, 
have unpopular leaders, so and and the countries over there are more prone to protests. I saw a big protest, a violent protest in France, and we see this in other places. It seems to me like it's a crisis, a crisis of leadership. Would you agree with that characterization, Ian? Yeah, well, they're destroying Europe, aren't they? Europe is going down the pan. Socially and economically, it's going down the pan. It's, it's become, becoming what, what Trump called the third world, you know? <laughs> Whatever hole. <laughs> As what, I mean, France, France yeah. has been going, going downhill for, for ages, hasn't it? And Sweden has. And Italy with Draghi is terrible with all these COVID restrictions, and they've got terrible economic crisis. And they got they've got mile in Italy. They've now got mile long queues at the food banks because there's so many people people who haven't got enough money to buy food. <laughs> in Milan, they get they they show pictures of a great long queue at the, a food handout place. It was about a mile long. The queue went went for my, for for ages. All people queuing up for free food. This is in Milan, right? It's not some poverty-stricken area. You know, this is this. This would be like Seattle or somewhere. <laughs> and and this is all happening as we're hitting a spring, but come winter. That's when it's really going to bite, isn't it? When the heating bills right. come up in 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 you know late fall or, or early winter, that's when it's really going to bite. And then that's when Russia might turn the tap off on the gas, isn't it? Because that, that will have the most effect. There's no point in turning the gas off now because people don't need it for their heating, do they? Right? It wouldn't be too desperate. But come December or January. <laughs> and here's the irony. The way they're going to be keeping warm is they're working on a uh, new invention that will turn the hot air generated by leaders talking about democracy <laughs> into heat. Because we hear constantly about democracy, democracy, democracy. Biden praises. Right. I mean, specifically, the crisis in leadership. Why, why doesn't some politician learn a lesson from Victor Orban and do stuff that people like? and become popular. It's because they don't need the consent. It seems like they've given up on trying to make make people like them. Yeah, but they've all popped up by the corrupt corporate media, aren't they? All the media in all the countries are owned by billionaire oligarchs in every country. The media is controlled, isn't it? It's controlled by billionaire oligarchs on one hand and the CIA or the local intelligence services on the other hand. So that's how Macron got popped up, right? Because all of the establishment, as you might call the deep state in France, supported Macron. They didn't support Le Pen, did they? Because Le Pen would uh, turn over all the tables and cause chaos to their system, wouldn't she? Now, we're out of time, Ian. Thanks, Ian Schilling. Tell people where they can find your stuff. Um, well, I've got a blog page on ian56blogspot.com, and I'm now on Getter. Okay. Are you playing cigarette? Are you playing hoping for a better future for Twitter? Well, I've been banned. I mean, 
Twitter is yes, just you're going to come back you can't from the post any of the truth on Twitter. And Carmine, I think Ian's appearance shows that we have so much in common with our European neighbors, right? It's frightening, oh, but we have the same dystopian future. It usually happens in Europe first, and they move it here. We're innovating in some areas and moving it there. In some of them, like wokeness, just oh, yeah. Black Lives Matter start here. But yes. when we come back, we'll have more of the backstory. an oasis of free speech in the empire of lies. It's a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. This is a backstory. And I'm Lee Stranahan. We're joined by co-host Carmine Shavey today on a Carmine Monday. And thanks to Ian Schilling for a great appearance from England. Coming up this hour, Wyatt Reed, Sputnik correspondent, talking about the Odessa massacre, giving a history lesson on that, and taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Say, Carmine, I forget, what show is this? Uh, let me think. Uh, backstory. Well done. <laughs> now, Carmine, one reason I was looking forward to talking to you today is I had a thought over the weekend and uh, I was bickering with somebody. Somebody attacked me and they said that I'm a clearly an anti-Trumper. Now, wow. you know me. You know me pretty well, Carmine. How would you define anti-Trumper? He, in fact, he said never Trumper. No, not at all. You no, I would say you're you're pro Trump in as much as you agree with the things you, you agree with, but you're anti certain things that you disagreed with. It's called being intellectually honest. Right. And 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 I would put you in the same category. I'm not saying Absolutely. you agree or disagree with the same issues, but you 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 don't hate Trump. Nope. No, but when I have an issue with something he does or I dislike something he says, I say it. Now, have you noticed when you criticize Trump and get called a never-Trumper? Yeah. The, there's there's oh, a now. certain category, a curtain category of Trump fans who then say, well, who's your alternative? Have you noticed that? Yes, always. And it seemed like they are baffled. They cannot think of a single solitary alternative to Donald Trump. Right? That must be because they're challenging you as though I can't come up with one alternative. As though there's the only choice is Donald Trump. And I'm not, for a variety of reasons, 
I'm not a Ron DeSantis person. I'm not anti-Ron DeSantis, but I'm not going out on a limb and supporting him. And the reason I'm not is because he doesn't take a radical enough anti-war position or pro-Assange position. So to me, if Rand Paul ran, nobody's running right now. I would prefer him. But let me ask this. And you're a good person to ask because you're not a never-Trumper either. Correct. What, in your view, does a Trump supporter dislike? Why don't they think of Ron DeSantis? It seems to me if you like Donald Trump, you'll also like Ron DeSantis. Is that logical? I do like Rogan. No, right. And why do they seem to not occur to them that maybe Ron DeSantis is an alternative? Mm. They can't think of one. They, They ask, well, who's your alternative? Well, I don't have to have an alternative now because people aren't running. See, I I always have this take that elections have an inherent problem, which is you you pick really in an election, realistically, you have two choices any year, right? So in 2008, for instance, you were either supporting Barack Obama effectively or John McCain, right? Correct. You can say you're going to support the Libertarian or a Green Party candidate, but we all know that they had no choice. So you either support, for instance, a few years ago, you either supported George Bush or John Kerry. That was it. Realistically. And that's the way you have to view elections. I can't say who I'd support. People say, well, who's your support in the election? I don't know. It depends on my choices. If Donald Trump were up against Tulsi Gabbard and she was her party's nominee, I would pick Gabbard. But I'm not getting to get that choice. So what do you think of, of the democratic process in general? I, I'd say sometimes you have no good choice. It stinks because you're really, I mean, I guess you can count the primaries, right? But you, it's, it's, here's 10 candidates. They're pretty much the same. You know, it, it happens. Trump was one that was actually different. Bernie Sanders was different. Not that I'm a fan of Bernie Sanders, but he was different. Tulsi Gabbard's different. DeSantis is different. But mostly you get more of the same. Now, at this point in the primaries, if DeSantis takes on Trump, who's not announced officially, but it's assumed, who would you right now? If you were to vote for Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump in the primaries, who would you vote for and why? I'm afraid to answer that question, man. I got a career. Um, DeSantis. 
Now, that's interesting. Why is that? Younger. Um, younger is, is one thing. I think also he basically is Trump, but in a nicer suit. And uh, so someone's pointed out, they said, well, Donald Trump would get a lot of votes out. And I agree, Donald Trump would get a lot of votes out, but he would also get a lot of votes out that are against him. That's the words, problem. And, and do you agree? That's why the media is trying to kill DeSantis right now. Right. There are some people who would, if they're a Democrat or independent voter, if Trump won the ticket, some people would come out to vote only to vote against Donald Trump. And I don't think that many people would vote strictly against DeSantis. Yeah, I agree. I agree, actually, a lot. I think he's and, a safer choice. Because I think right now, yeah. the only that the Democrats could defeat in 2024 is Trump. Yes. And would get a lot of votes out, unquestionably. But, like I say, would get a lot of votes out by Democrats or independent voters who don't want Trump. I and love I him, think, don't get me wrong, but he's risky. And I think, you know, he has been, the, the big debate that the last week, it's safe to say, is about free speech. With Elon Musk, this has been a week of debate about free speech. And this governance board, that's been all week. Donald Trump could have, this is, a Donald Trump issue. He should be leading on this issue and not just in favor of Donald Trump, but he should be pointing out, do you agree that this is a signature issue for Donald Trump? He has a lot to say about freedom of speech, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he should, but I have noticed he is, there's been a distinct lack of leadership on this issue, he's not one of the voices people are listening to because all he has to say is he's not going to come back on Twitter because of true social. Which, did you see Joe Rogan called Trump out on that and said, true social sucks? And the fact that Trump doesn't recognize that true social sucks is a problem. Would you agree? Yes. And so this is an issue he should be leading on and saying stuff and being out there ahead of the game and making people want him back on social media. But I've not seen him, you know, occasionally he talks about, see, with Trump, it's about Trump ultimately. And he's got so many other people that he could be talking about who've been banned from social media. And he should say, of course, I was banned, but Roger Stone and Jim Hoff and James O'Keefe, you see, put himself on the list of people and not make himself a focus. 
But Trump seems incapable of thinking beyond his own ego. Come on, say you. Correct, and that's the issue. No. The issue is that. What do you mean? He, the, the issue is yeah. he makes everything about himself, bro. Yes. And that's that's not a principle. And it's. And again, it's part of what makes Trump compelling. Is that he's so ego driven. But. It's also part of what makes him an ineffective politician sometimes because he can't see beyond his position. He can't see beyond it being about him. In other words, I, I've been saying for five years, Russiagate was not about Trump. I've been saying Russiagate was about demonizing Vladimir Putin. And I think the war shows that. Russiagate was set up for the propaganda about the war. And I'm not saying it wasn't about Trump at all. I'm saying that Trump was peripheral. He was secondary to the anti-Putin, anti-Russia rhetoric. And we're seeing that's all come home to roost with the war. But I want to get to the calls. 202-521-1320. Tarif, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Thanks for taking my call, gentlemen. I have three um, comments. First, I'd like to say free you on the sides. Um, my first comment is dealing with, um, they had an article came out two weeks ago explaining what happened with Jake Sullivan and Crown Prince, Crown Prince Solomon, Ben Solomon from Saudi Arabia, how he yelled at him because Jake Solomon couldn't get his way with the um, Earl production action the Saudi Arabia increased their oil production. Ben uh, Simon turned them down. And then that's, that's when um, Jake Sullivan brought up the Khashoggi affair. And he got yelled at and kicked out of Saudi Arabia. Now, I think the reason why, why this is my opinion, the reason why um, Elon Musk could, could uh, take his money out of Tesla and, and to buy into what it was because they had a Saudi Arabian firm, from what I understand, invested in, in, um, into Tesla. And I wonder if that was the reason, stemming back to all the way back to September the, um, uh, um, last year, that, you know, maybe Ben Simon wanted, conference, Ben Simon wanted some revenge, you know, on a Biden administration by supporting in a monster with Twitter or something like that. That's just my theory. My second comment. Um, Russia has, just like they did, the West have $300 billion of uh, Russian assets, the Russians have $500 billion of of Western assets. So if the money is taken from Russia, the, the $300 billion, if it's coming to law and they take the $300 billion, then Russia's going to take the $500 billion of Western assets. That's going to, you know, replace that they stole their money. My last comment, they have a bill which I, th I know um, I don't know if y'all talked about because I just turned on to the show, but this, it, I'm gonna just go over it. The AUMF bill that's being passed by Kinzinger, he is is about if something happened in Ukraine with chemical, biological, nuclear or weapons are used in Ukraine, 
the bill will give authorization to the U.S. military to, to put troops into U, U, Ukraine, which is stupid because it will lead to an all-out war between the U.S. and in um, um in Russia. So that bill needs to be stopped. We need to start protesting because it's very dangerous. And also, the deep state just showed their hand that they are desperate. They'd rather take them, take us with them, to you know, into the other side. They ready to destroy everything before to give up power, and that bill can't be passed. We gotta protest and we gotta uh, expose it and hopefully stop it because it's gonna put us put out the whole world lives in danger because a nuclear conflict could happen if we start putting troops in Ukraine. Thank y'all for taking my call. Great culture. Now that's the oh, bill I was talking about earlier. Uh. Uh. That's the bill I was talking about earlier, Carmine. Let me ask this. Even let's say, let's say you're in favor of a war. Let's say you're in favor of a war for a second. Would you want to go to war with Joe Biden leading the country? <laughs> no. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. No. Even if you're in favor, favor of war with Russia, do you see any problems with a senile guy leading us? A slight, yeah, slightly. And also, I think a lot of Republicans didn't realize, imagine what would happen to this country if we went to war with Russia. Imagine the propaganda and shutting down a free speech. They then have the excuse that we have to do this because it's a patriotic thing to do. And who would, I would say, the slide into totalitarianism by the U.S., nothing would spike it more than going to war. Do you see what I'm saying, Carmine? Oh, gosh, yes. And so Republicans Absolutely. need to think about that. What say you, Carmine? I couldn't agree more, bro. I couldn't agree more, you know, you, you uh, so. Well, the, the other thing that was in the headlines today was Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov made a statement. Did you see this controversy about Hitler having Jewish blood? What? Did you, Sergei Lavrov was pointing out the absurdity of saying that there can't be Nazis in Ukraine because Zelensky's Jewish. And Lavrov pointed uh -huh. out, he said his, his understanding is Hitler had some Jewish blood. And he was immediately denounced as anti-Semitic. But... That's amazing, dude. I, 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 does Hitler actually have... Does Hitler actually have that? Well, here's the thing. Yes, according to researchers, what people did was, uh, it was a, wait. Look it, look it up. You'll find the History Channel's report on it. What they did was, they did a DNA test with 39 of his relatives. Okay, and they found he had Jewish and African DNA. Apparently. 
Now, so here's the I'm question. saying, did he know it? Yes. Well, well, the weird thing to me is they called that anti-Semitic saying that. But if the History Channel is reporting it, is the History Channel being anti-Semitic? It doesn't seem to me if it's a fact. It's it it's anti-Semitic maybe if it wasn't true, right? If the DNA had said the opposite, no, it's he's pure German blood. If that's what it said, then someone misinterpreted it or lied about it. That might be anti-Semitic, but I don't think. Reporting a fact, if Hitler, well, what are we talking has that, about? What are we talking about? Because it's also a fact that there's a lot of Nazis in the Ukraine. That's a fact. It's a fact. It's been a fact in the mainstream media for a decade at least that they've been talking about it. Nobody disputed it until right now. Good, good point. Have you, as the war's gone on, Carmine? Because you've talked about, you've had some experience, but. Has the fact that Nina Jankowicz is, of course, a pro-Ukrainian who lived there for a while, anti-Russian, have you noticed stuff about the pro-Ukrainian side that's given you pause over time? Yes. You know, as you go more and more into this, how I mean, look, again, I still I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I don't like war, bro. But yeah. As you go more and more into this, is there an American politician that does not have some kind of ties to Ukraine? Does one exist? No. All? In, in fact, do you know who has ties to Ukraine who doesn't get talked about much because he's anathema, he's an enemy of liberals? But Rudy Giuliani oh, yeah. had ties to Ukraine, business ties. Before he got involved in the Ukraine issue, there's pictures of him with Petro Poroshenko. So why so do you think I've, why do you think we're so interested in Ukraine? This is why we're so interested in Ukraine. If this was Georgia, okay, that Russia was over right now, we would be like we'd make a couple statements and that would be it. And the question is, and we'll go to the calls in one second, Adam. Oh, I know that link line you know, there. You know how I know that? Because that's what happened. How I know that is because that is what happened when Russia was at war with Georgia. This was this uproar wasn't happening. Well, so a a question a lot of people ask themselves is, is Ukraine going to figure this out? Are the people of Ukraine going to figure out they've been used by the United States? And I think yes. And do you know much about the Chechens? A little bit, yes. So at one point, the Chechens were being used by the United States against Russia, but they figured out that they were being used. And now the front, the the toughest fighters, in a lot of cases, the leading ones are Chechen fighters on the Russian side. And I think eventually Ukraine's going to figure out what Chechnya did, that they're being used and the U.S. doesn't care how many Ukrainians die. They don't care. They're not trying to save Ukrainian lives. Have you heard, you've heard a lot about Biden proposing weapons, right? 
more weapons for Ukraine. Have you heard one statement that Biden's made saying, we got to send humanitarian aid over there? No. And I'm not saying he hasn't made one, but he's not his emphasis. His emphasis is on sending weapons. And if you're in Ukraine, if you're Ukrainian right now, I think you'd rather have food in some of these places than javelin missiles, right? Uh, the United States doesn't, yeah. even, doesn't even hide that they don't have a humanitarian purpose. But 202-521-1320, Adam, what's on your mind? Hey, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I, I had called on to uh, fault lines this morning at mentioning how the media plays such an important part about manufacturing consent for what could potentially be any conflict that someone will profit off of. Just remembering that war is a racket, so whoever wants war will profit from it in some way, shape, or form. And how many lives will it take to get us on board with joining this fight and being on the quote-unquote correct side of the story? Meanwhile, someone like myself who is shouting into the void of, no, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is a lie, this is a lie. And now the chemical weapons part of the AUMF that Tarif mentioned, that itself allows for a false flag just like Duma. That is my biggest concern, is that mission no. getting us involved and then total commitment at the end. And by then, you know, we're all dead. And we've already got the bio labs over there in Ukraine. And Victoria Nolan admitted that. So we, we're all set up with the stuff to do it. I agree. And this is a, a red line in the sand or a red line in the Ukrainian dirt, whatever it is. And that I think, good point, Adam. It very well could be used for a false flag attack. You know what I wonder, Carmine? How many listeners does Joe Rogan have? A lot. Millions, right? More than CNN. And I would say the Joe Rogan listeners are more open to hearing both sides of the conflict than the average CNN viewer, right? They want to hear the Ukrainian side only. I would say the Joe Rogan listener, it seems to me somewhere out there is a powerful voting block of people who listen to Joe Rogan, but they oh, aren't I'm identified. Do you agree? I'm not sure what side of the aisle they're on, but yes. Well, I, I agree, and I think that makes them a more powerful voting block. I, I believe a lot of them are independents, and they aren't necessarily Republicans, but they don't hate Republicans. You, you follow me? The average Rogan listener doesn't reflexively hate Republicans. Correct. They're right. And no one's talking about if if they're willing to listen to the Rogan show for an hour or so a day, they've got to be willing to vote. And they're more independent minded. And I never hear them identified as an important voting block. But to me, it is. 
but it's like an invisible voting block. The Joe Rogan. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. Yeah. That's but but who I, is, you know, who do, who do they align with? Well, I, I like the fact that I think they align with whoever it seems to be good. I, I don't think they align with necessarily the party's chosen candidate or something like that. So I, I look at Rogan himself. I don't hear him coming out and hating on Republicans or hating on Democrats per se, but he points out the absurdity and most of the absurdity is on the Democrat side. You, you see what I'm saying? Well, and I think that's a good thing that he does point that out because look, I think here's what I think about Rogan. I think he's a fair voice. Right. Yes. And I, I think we have enough partisan voices. Sean Hannity is clearly a partisan. And he points out some good stuff about some of the absurd stuff that the Democrats are up to. But I, I think he takes too much of a slavish attitude towards Republicans. And I think people, no, no one says it, but it's obvious the independent voters will swing the election. In 2016, it was the independent voters who vo voted, maybe they voted for Obama, who came out for Trump that won him the election. Would you agree with that? There are people who voted for Obama who came out for Trump, and that swung the election. I think Rogan could play a big part. Here's the thing. They're doing a lot to try to hurt him. Right. Now, coming up, we have a great Splendid correspondent, Wyatt Reed, about to give us a history lesson on the Odessa massacre. Get ready for the next segment on the backstory. This is Lee Stranahan, and we have guest co-host Carmine Savia with us on a Carmine Monday. We are on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in the Washington, D.C. area. Joining us now, Spendix Special Correspondent Wyatt Reed. Wyatt, welcome to the show. Hey, Lee. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Good. And Wyatt, say hello to Carmine Savia, our co-host today. Hey, Carmine, Carmine Wyatt, Wyatt, Carmine. Wyatt, how are you? Wyatt, if I was you, I'd legally change my last name to Earp. You know, I don't have to do it. People just kind of assume it already is anyway. <laughs> That's a now, cool name. Wyatt, we're going to have you explain Odessa, and both you and Carmine will pay uh, pivotal roles explaining this. Carmine will act as the voice of the listener because, but before we do that, I want to talk about some, another story that I know you've been covering 
the story is PayPal has shut down a number of PayPal accounts belonging <laughs> to important journalists, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Caleb, Caleb Malpin, we, we've had on the show, and we talked about that. But not only that, Consortium News and Mint Press News, two great right. independent news sources, were also shut down by PayPal, right, Wyatt? Yeah, that's right. I know uh, Alan McLeod with Mint Press, and I believe Mint Press themselves uh, have had their PayPal accounts frozen. And then I know uh, Consortium News, the you know, incredible uh, outlet run by Joe Lauria and uh, product of the late great Robert Perry, you know, somebody who really did some of the original real investigative work into the deep state. Um, those are those are important uh, institutions, really, in the alternative media landscape. So, uh, you know, if they're coming after them, it just shows you at this point the there are no lines anymore. They can they can come after anyone now. And and they didn't give a reason. PayPal didn't say we're going to seize your account and shut it down because you Wait, I got a question. think this. Now- how many news organizations did they do this to? Because I only saw a consortium this morning. Uh, I know about Mint Press News. I know about Consortium News. Uh, I've heard uh, independent journalists like Caleb Maupin. Uh, you know, I, so I know it did seem, at least my impression was this was kind of a concerted effort. All of these happened within the span of, of around uh, 24 hours. So I I interpreted them to be kind of a a warning or a signal of some sort that this is, you know, to, to group them together. I don't, I don't think that that's, uh, you know, far-fetched in any way. Well, can I well, ask you and, a question? And what, what, what do they share in common? Well, they push back against empire, right? They, uh, they are critical of the war machine. They're critical of NATO. They're critical of this endless militarist, uh, uh, militaristic sort of adventurism. Uh, they are critical of, of, of yeah, of the war machine of the swamp and uh, all those who profit from it. And and Carmine, that's of course a way to really mess with someone, cutting off their money, and making well, the. I have a lot of questions about this because I'm a writer. And I'm in the conservative news space. So my question for you, Wyatt, is – and because I, I looked into some uh, – one of the sites, two of the sites, and uh, you know, it seemed that their, their writing was a bit on the uh, Infowars kind of fringe side of things. Um, by the way, I disagree with – by the way, I disagree with that. The the I'm not sure you're talking about the the interesting thing that conservatives should note is these three sites are lean left I would say in the case of Caleb Mumpen he's 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 pretty left but even he said he's skeptical of woke wokeness it seems to me this a lot of conservatives likes to think they're the only ones being attacked and I think this proves that the bias isn't against conservatives so much as is against people who are anti-establishment and anti-war. And anyone who isn't a liberal. It's anyone who isn't kind of a, you know, died in the wall sort of 
just run of the mill liberal, right? Like it's, 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 so it is, you know, it'll be conservatives one day, it'll be communists the next. It's, it's really, you know, it's anybody and it's everybody who's not kind of in lockstep with a particular set of, um, of social ideas more so than economic ones usually. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely getting worse. And the Ukraine stuff has, has, uh, has really kind of turned everything into overdrive, I think. Um, so the other question, though, is, you know, how is it, what kind of special, cause I know it's something they have some kind of special umbrella that covers them PayPal, that they don't have to operate in the same way that a bank does. Because I want to know what makes it legal for PayPal to say, we're just going to take that money and that's it. It's gone. It's ours. I mean, I, you know, I, I would have to consult some somebody with a little bit more, you know, of uh, a financial background on what specific, you know, ability that they, what, what, what specific, you know, language legally gives them the, the right to do that. But I know, you know, for example, with, Uh, The trucker protests or something, right? We've already seen that this is kind of – this is not really our money. It's their money. It's kind of – they're letting us put our money in their systems, but at the end of the day, it's their system. If they want to cut us off, you know, it's their world we're just living in. And it's the same case with, you know, the social media companies. You're basically living at the – one thing – it's one thing why to say we're cutting off the trucker's money. We're sending the money back to the people who donated. That's one thing. What PayPal is saying is we're cutting you off and we're taking your money. They're not returning it to the people who sent it. They're taking the money. Right. Well, I think originally that was kind of the plan, if I'm not mistaken, and they only really agreed to give the money back after this kind of public backlash. But uh, I will say, you know, I don't know. It's it's PayPal is a is a powerful company, and it's, they certainly bring a lot more uh, public outrage or public relations uh, ha- weight, I would say, to this kind of battle than uh, a handful of you know kind of independent alternative media sites. That's another very frightening way that these tech companies are fighting free speech and taking it's, it's, it's very frightening. Now, Wyatt, I'm going to have you explain and uh, let me explain what your role and what Carmine's role will be. You know, Wyatt, most people in America know nothing about the Odessa massacre, correct? And today's the anniversary of, of the Odessa massacre, right? That's right, Lee. Now I'm going to have you be the teacher. And Carmine, who knows a lot about news, I asked him, Carmine, you basically know nothing about the Odessa massacre, right? Pretty much, yes. Okay, so Carmine, I want you to listen. And if Wyatt's saying anything that you, as a person who doesn't know much about this, have a question about, you know, cut in and say, well, what what does that mean or whatever? So you're acting in the role of, you're the listener's representative. So, Carmine, I want you, to, I, and we appreciate you coming on, I want someone to go through in a methodical way, assuming nothing. If you're telling a story to someone who knew nothing about the Odessa massacre, start at the beginning and go through and explain it, because you are essentially telling it to someone who knows very little about it. Go ahead, Carmine. Wyatt. 
Right. Well, the Odessa massacre is the killings of uh, 48 uh, pro-Russian uh, or you know Russian sympathetic people, seven of them women, uh, one pregnant, that took place on May 2nd, 2014. The context of this massacre was that uh, in Odessa, which is a uh, traditionally very Russian-friendly city, uh, heavily populated by Russian-speaking inhabitants, uh, confronted these new sort of far-right forces, uh, among them the right sector, uh, people like the, the Azov Battalion, right? Uh, and, 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 this- and why? Let me just, because I've done this before, let me just, you're not being inaccurate, but the terminology confuses. By far right, you don't mean Trump supporters. No, I don't mean Trump supporters. I don't mean somebody in a MAGA hat. I mean somebody with a Heil Hitler tattooed on their face doing, say, Heiling around openly, right? I'm talking about actual Nazis. Actual Nazis. Right? I'm not talking about somebody who d- thinks X, Y, or Z about, you know, who holds on to conservative uh, ideals, ideals about family or, you know, about relationships. That's like not at all who I'm talking about here. I'm talking about people who are actual adherents of of national socialism ideology, Nazis. Right. Um, and some of these so, people had Nazi tattoos, didn't they? They absolutely do. And I will say, actually, just four days ago, uh, the Ukrainian border guard service published an official propaganda video in which one of the star agents that they feature has 1488 tattooed on his face. And that's a, that's a Nazi code for the 14 words, uh, which is a known, you know, uh, Nazi phrase that is a, a, a lot of Nazis are a big fan of. And then eight, eight standing for HH or Heil Hitler. So this is a, a phrase that Nazis use. This man has it tattooed on his face. The Ukrainian border guard service published this out, this this propaganda video four days ago. So they don't really hide this, right? Um, anyway, uh, so to 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 go back to to the day of May second, two thousand fourteen. Uh, now that we've kind of set the scene um, with the uh, the the in two thousand fourteen, right? We have Yanukovych. We have this. Uh, this this uh, constitutional crisis, as it's sort of seen in the West, a coup, as it is understood, uh, east of, of, of Ukraine. Uh, and in May, you have these forces that are seeking to Ukrainize the Russian-friendly uh, areas, of which Odessa was one. They're bust in from out of town. And there's a confrontation. There are more you know, Ukrainian nationalists than there are pro-Russia side, by far. Uh, the pro-Russian sides take shelter in a trade union uh, building, the, tra- the House of Trade Unions nearby. Uh, and with the full complicity of the local police of the Ukrainian government uh, forces, the uh, Ukrainian nationalists proceeded to methodically produce Molotov cocktails. Uh, there are videos of this outside. They're having fun, giggling, teenage girls getting in on this. Uh, they hand them over to uh, the right sector forces, and then they set alight the building with uh, 50 people inside at least. Um, a number of them, around 40 of them, ultimately burned to death. Uh, there are a lot of gruesome videos of them uh, fa- falling from windows, trying to escape. 
the ones who did manage to escape were generally beaten to death uh, when they landed on the ground if they survived that fall. Uh, so this is kind of the context, right? This is sort of seen as an event that jump-started this whole conflict in in Ukraine in 2014. Yes, there was this crisis, but what really made it violent, what made it clear the extent to which the Ukrainian regime side was willing to go, the, the that had just successfully pulled off this coup, this was the event that really uh, it proved exactly how far uh, they were going to go. Um, and, you know, when we saw over the course of eight years, we saw over 10,000 more lives claimed uh, in this fighting, vast majority of those being on the pro-Russian side. Uh, none of this, of course, is discussed in mainstream media. Uh, at the time, it was actually covered uh, in The Guardian, I, I noticed, um, and they quote widely from people at the scene. Most of the people they quote from are right sector militants, right? So died in the wool Nazis. Uh, but they do quote from one onlooker, a, a teacher who was watching, um, who said that for two and a half hours, the police were absent. And her quote was, the authorities have been absolutely indifferent. Um, so, you know, they basically just got to hold a open air pogrom in broad daylight in so quote unquote civilized Europe. Um, and they got away with it and no one has ever been punished for this. In fact, to this day, the Ukrainian nationalists celebrate this um, and they talk about the annual May barbecue. Um, so this is like a joke to them, right? At the time they were sending all these pictures around, you know, laughing about, haha, this is so great. Look at these guys jumping from a burning building. Uh, and their attitude has never changed. And no one has ever been held to account. Uh, and in fact, the day continues to be celebrated by high-ranking members of the Ukrainian regime. And why you've you've hinted at in, in what you said, but this was extensively documented, was it not? This whole thing, people had camera phones by the time. There was a lot of pictures and video, long video clips. So questions about what actually happened there aren't many. We know what happened. We watched the video, right? Yeah, it's it's all over the place. And if if listeners have a strong stomach, you know, I recommend that you do watch some of this when you get the chance. You know, just look it up. The Odessa massacre. You can find it on on social media still, um, and even on YouTube. And you'll see. Really, you'll get a sense for just the the kind of demented joy that the people that are there are taking out of, you know, just very slowly over the course of several hours, burning dozens of people to death. Um, and that's fascism, right? That's like, that's actual, you know, I don't like the way that you think. Therefore, I don't, you know, I'm going to go beyond just like taking your money. You know what I mean? Deplatforming you like that's what we're facing right now. And they took it to I'm just, you know, going to burn you to death in this building because you know, end of the day, I just, I don't like the way that you think. And what happened to the people who were trying to, obviously the building's on fire, some people tried to leave, right? Maybe A lot of them were beaten, um, and many of them died. So it's, you know, there was no, there was no option. There was nowhere for them to run. This was what you, you, you know, you heard from the people as they were, as they were screaming from the building, you know, they, 
it's it's not a, a pleasant way to die. I don't think really there is a I'm sure a pleasant way to die, but uh, we're talking about people who you know were very literally baked and burned to death. You know, in that situation, you'll do anything to survive. And in fact, there's a famous sort of uh, photo of uh, this ash blackened window and just two hands, kind of handprints, kind of dragging down. And it seems to be you know someone's final moments um kind of imprinted in the window uh and it it really uh to this day it's, it speaks to just the the unthinking and just brutish totally i mean it's it's a level of 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 like anti-russian racism and you're not i guess allowed to call it that but like it is just like straight up racism like you see all these photos and pictures and everyone's calling, you know, it's Russian orcs. They're no longer humans. They've been fully downgraded to like orcs in, in you know, publicly acceptable discourse. And the whole end game is just to enable uh, massacres like this, is to enable people to carry out violence against uh, Russian speaking people because they think that uh, they, you know, are some kind of like zombie horde monolith that's operating at the behest of Vladimir Putin, I guess. And th this sh does show that when Russia refers to the Nazis, they're not just talking about people who like uniforms. They're not just talking about people who think the swastika is stylus. They are sadistic Nazis who hate Russia. And the reason they were given prominence after 2014 is they wanted to make, have a government in place that was never going to deal with Russia fairly. There was never going to that hated him. And so now Carmine Sabia, as taking the role of a person listening to the story, but at being skeptical of this, are there any questions you would ask of Wyatt about the Odessa massacre based on what you heard, if you were being skeptical, if you were say, trying to say, prove it, what, what area would you have it's hard for me to say because I do I do believe it I do remember this a little bit like I said I know some of it and you know I mean he got a little more graphic than I knew but I I mean I knew what's been happening in in, in that region so if I were skeptical I would say what is the Ukrainian side of the story that's a good uh, question why well, uh, I would say the Ukrainian side of the story is that these were not really – I mean it depends on who you ask, right? As you can tell, there are certainly different perspectives. One of the perspectives of that, that school teacher in that Guardian article uh, seemed, I think, rightly appalled by what happened, right? So her perspective, I think, would be probably much closer to the, the perspective that I just laid out. Um, but – the perspective of, you know, the right sector militants, right? Like the guys with the swastikas, you know, the ones who want to cleanse, you know, the, the Slavic threat from the European homeland or whatever. Uh, they, uh, they said their aim, and this is, I'm, I'm quoting directly, the aim is to completely clear Odessa of pro-Russians. Um, I assume they used a he used a slur and they they replaced it, but um, of pro of pro Russians, uh, he said they are all paid Russian separatists. He's talking about the people that they were burning to death. 
Um, so, I mean, does their anyone, perspective. Does anyone deny that this happened? No, they, deny? They, very, they brag about it every year. Uh, they say that people were shooting. This is their perspective. They, they claim that there were people on the roof that were shooting, um, which is why that they, they had to shoot people in the building that they saw in the windows. Um, he said, um, I, I mean, this, this is, I mean, I'm quoting from the, the Guardian article that was published at the time. This is a, one of, this is a different uh, right sector militant. He said, at first we broke through the side uh, of the building and then we came through the main entrance um, they had guns and they were shooting. Um, some people jumped from the roof and they died, obviously. Uh, so I guess their, their argument is that these, um, you know, pro-Russian people were shooting back, you know, when they tried to storm the building and, and murder them. Um, no, no evidence as far as I'm aware has ever been, uh, presented to show that any of those people were armed actually. Um, you know, as far as I'm aware, all of them were, were unarmed, but, uh, you know, I welcome anybody who, anybody who has as firm evidence and, and not just kind of this sort of, uh, secondhand testimony, I would, I would welcome that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's important to, to recognize, you know, it's not, it's not, we're not being metaphorical here when we say, uh, that that these people were Nazis. Uh, these people are very open about their political aims, and you don't really have to uh, look particularly hard to find a little, you know, evidence uh, to that effect. Uh, in fact, the founder of uh, Azov Battalion, the notorious Azov Battalion, a guy named Andrei Belitsky. Uh, he wrote that Ukraine's, and this is a direct quote again, Ukraine's historic mission is to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade for their survival, a crusade against the Semite-led Untermenschen. So again, I, I want to be very clear, this is not hyperbole. This is, these are Nazis. These are Sig Heiling, goose-stepping, Mein Kampf-reading Nazis. Um, and this is who, you know, uh, the Democrats in Congress are lining up behind. This is who, uh, you know, Victoria Newland wanted to uh, empower. And this is who, uh, you know, these are the acceptable Nazis. Last year, the past two years, it was punch a Nazi, punch anyone uh, in the face that you see if they, uh, if you suspect them of holding a right wing idea. And now it's ship them, you know, anti-tank missiles. And Wyatt, how well known is this story in Russia and Ukraine? We talked about, Carmine, if if 50 people were killed in a Black Lives Matter protest or something like that, when they were chased into a building and then the building set fire, you think you'd hear about that in the news? That'd make the news, right? Every day for a week at least. And, and it, it would be valid. I would agree. Fifty people kills a lot of people, but Americans well, don't hey, know about January, this. January January sixth in the news for two years, and uh, nobody was killed except for one of the protesters. Right. That's a good point. How would you compare this to the January sixth uh, protests in terms of deadliness and news coverage in the U.S.? 
Well, yeah, there's no comparison uh, in either one, right? Uh, January 6th has, despite the fact that no one, uh, I've yet to find like a single normal human being who really cares about January 6th, no one cares, but we are still being force-fed like the daily drip of, of January 6th news, uh, obviously because it's politically useful, right? They want to kneecap the Trump presidency before it gets off the ground. Um, so that's the, I assume the main, uh, mechanism that they've identified. That's going to be the most effective way of doing that. Uh, something like this is extremely inconvenient, um, because not only does it demonstrate that everyone who's been talking about, um, the fascists in Ukraine, um, will, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just demonstrate that we've been correct. Uh, you know, we have not been hyperbolic, uh, unlike a number of people, uh, especially, you know, in the U.S., uh, it also um, demonstrates that, you know, this this denazification rhetoric that, um, you know, Russian Federation President Vladimir Putin has been using um, and and pointing to as a reason for this ongoing special military operation. Uh, it just it proves how, how legitimate it is. Right. If you start going down this rabbit hole of the Nazi threat in Ukraine, you can't help but come to the conclusion that on some level uh, this was a real threat to not just uh, Russians and not just Russian-speaking people, but really uh, if you believe in a truly tolerant society, uh, then they were a threat to all of Ukraine. Why? Great report on this. And let me suggest, anyone in the audience, let me politely suggest that before you say the Nazi narrative is Russian propaganda. Shut your pie hole and find the video and watch these people burning to death with the Nazis outside. Then get back to us. Why read? Great report. And thanks for talking about the PayPal thing. Why? Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Lee. Carmen Sabia, great job guest co-hosting. Did you learn something here, Carmen? Definitely, man. Definitely. Great job. Right. And a thanks also to Ian Schilling for teaching us that Chelsea's a football team, unlike the Redskins, which are no longer a football team. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory.